0: Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone, I am here at CES and I've got the pleasure of being seated with Alex Teichman. Alex is the CEO and co-founder of Lighthouse. Alex, welcome to this week in machine learning and AI. Excellent, thank you. Absolutely, great to have you uh, on the show. Uh, So, um, why don't we get started by having you tell us a little bit about your background. You've done some interesting things in the uh, AI sphere.
1: Oh, thanks. Thanks.
0: Yeah. So, so my background is in perception systems for self-driving cars.
1: Um, This is all about getting them to understand what they see in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, What is a car and what is a bicyclist and what is a a pedestrian and, and that sort of thing. Um, So I joined Sebastian Thrun's lab uh, back in uh, 2007,
0: uh, right when the DARPA challenges uh, were wrapping up. Mm -hmm. What were some of the specific things you were working on there?
1: Um, So my focus was on how you use 3D sensing, LIDAR in particular in that case, um, to do a better job of understanding uh, what you're seeing in the world, you being a self-driving car or a computer more generally. So this is very different from using a regular color camera to understand what you see in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, When you have a 3D sensor, um, you've got the full structure to work with um, in real time. And that opens up a a variety of different computer vision techniques. And Mm -hmm. it makes many of the very difficult computer vision sub-problems quite easy. Uh, Mm. Not all of them, but it makes many of them easy.
0: Can you give us an example of that?
1: Yeah. So, for example, um, segmentation and tracking of... Objects for which you have no computer vision model Mm -hmm. is extraordinarily difficult with regular video. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you have a 3D sensor, and when certain assumptions are are met, then you can do a very good job segmenting and tracking objects, even if you have no idea what they are, if you have no semantic information whatsoever. Um, And this is something that's made use of very heavily in the self-driving car world, Mm -hmm. um, where uh, you can see that there is a physical thing in the structure of the environment, and it's moving
0: around. Mm -hmm. You don't have to know what it is to drive safely around it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, yeah, there seems to be a, you know, there's a school of thought in and around the self-driving cars that, um, is taking advantage of what you're describing using LIDAR and things like that. But then there's another school of thought where folks are saying LIDAR is too expensive to be, you know, on every production vehicle. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to try and do things with, uh, just cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, any thoughts on that? It's
1: hard. <laughs> Which one? It's all, ri- all of it's hard? No, or? No, no, no. Well, um, Getting all this stuff to work with just regular color cameras, it will eventually happen, right? The information is all there, and humans do it with what essentially amounts to just a camera. Stereo is not effectively you know, it's not very effective at that range. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so and, and we are just machines in some sense, right? Very mm-hmm. complex, very sophisticated machines, but like we, we are able to do it. So the information is there and eventually uh, we will get computers to be able to do that sort of thing. Um, but we we seem to be a long way off from that. It is quite yeah. hard. This is why virtually every self-driving car project is using LIDAR, mm-hmm. because it it makes many of those hard problems a lot
0: easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so fast forward uh, to Lighthouse. What's Lighthouse up to? Yeah. So, so the story
1: of Lighthouse. Um, so um, we were talking a lot about self-driving cars here. It's, what we're doing is basically we're taking that set of, um, of computer vision um, and machine perception techniques, and we're translating that from the self-driving car world um, into the home. Okay. Um, that's, the, that's the technology perspective on what Lighthouse is. That's the machine learning perspective. From the, uh, the customer perspective, Lighthouse is, um, imagine you had a traditional home camera, mm-hmm. but it had the intelligence of something like Alexa or Google Home. Okay. It's a new kind of interactive assistant that's based on this 3D sensing and, and computer vision and, and cameras um, that lets you tell it what you care about, and then it tells you when it sees those things happen.
0: And is the application uh, is it security or personal virtual assistant or it's something both. beyond? It's both. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so give me an example of how I might uh, how I might use it. Yeah.
1: So one thing you can do with Lighthouse is you can say, um, "Tell me if you don't see the kids by 4 p.m. on weekdays." Okay. And you literally just say those words, that's it. It understands what you're asking for. It has a very good computer vision model for what children are. It knows what they look like. Mm -hmm. Um, And it knows that you're asking for, you know, by 4 p.m. on weekdays, Monday through Friday. And if it doesn't see children by that time, Monday through Mm -hmm. Friday, it'll send you a notification. Okay. Um, And if it does, then it won't bother you. Mm -hmm. Right.
0: Interesting. uh, A few years ago, I I had some crazy project that I was going to do around the the house and, and one of the first things I started trying to figure out was presence and this was pre like deep learning, CNNs, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I started looking at, you know, NFC and all these other kinds of things. Um, And it's just so obvious now that vision is, you know, cameras and vision is the way to do this. Uh Um, What are some of the challenges associated with uh, deploying a kind of a vision appliance, I guess, in the the home environment? Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Well, everything in computer vision is is hard to some degree right because <laughs> it's new we're kind of just at the, in like the dawn of artificial intelligence here and right. all of this all of these you know different techniques are are very cutting edge um, so we're really pushing the boundaries and what's possible with deep learning um, and combining that intelligently with the um, you know the sorts of techniques you can use with 3d sensing um, mm-hmm. in particular around segmentation and tracking um, there is a lot of complexity and a lot of difficulty around building the hardware to do this, too, um, because this hmm. is the first 3D sensor um, that, uh, you know, has 95 degree uh, diagonal field of view that can see out to, you know, uh, depends on the details, but, you know, 7 to 10 meters is typical. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite challenging to put all that stuff together. Um, hardware is hard is, is a, you know, is the phrase for a reason. Right,
0: right, right. Yeah. So is the device itself, is it kind of a, kind of a Kinect plus a camera? You can actually kind of think of it that way.
1: Um, so it uses a different um, uh, underlying depth sensing technique. It's uh, um, uh, actually depends on which Kinect you're referring to. So the original Kinect <laughs> was uh, was structured light, and then it's okay. kind of like stereo. There's like a texture pattern going out. Um, a projector and you know where that projector is and there's an infrared camera and you can triangulate from that okay that was the original connect Uh, that was actually what we prototyped lighthouse on in the very beginning okay Um, and what we're using now is a time of flight camera where that sends out modulated light and then you look at um, the phase shift between that modulated light as it returns um, and a reference signal and that phase shift um, uh, tells you how far away things are essentially so like at every pixel in the image not only do you see you know oh it's you know It's like this shade of brown. You also see um, it's 3.72 meters away. You get that for the whole scene.
0: Oh, interesting. I'm trying to remember the name of this thing. There was a Kickstarter that I backed. I haven't done anything with this thing yet, but it was like a mini LiDAR scans, I think was the name of it. Have you ever come across that? I haven't come across that one, but was it for scanning your face or yourself no, it was or like, something? It was kind of, a, you know, for hobbyists, uh, you could, you know, put it on a mobile robot and just experiment with it, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. I don't think there was any, like, specific end user use case associated with it. Okay. But it was focused on kind of, I think it was just an example of, you know, the, the, you know how to scale LIDAR down to something that fits in the palm of your hand and is relatively cheap.
1: I see. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that one, but um, but you know the both generations of the Kinect are a good example. Um, the iPhone X mm-hmm. has a 3D sensor built into it, and that's also mm-hmm. a good example. They use that to to make Face ID actually reliable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, you know, self-driving cars, obviously, with the, all the different varieties of lidar that's out there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, maybe a little bit more detail around the the some more examples of kind of use cases for. The device itself might be helpful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I mentioned the one about like if the children don't come home by a particular time. Mm-hmm. And is uh, it just
0: children or is it like if Bobby doesn't come home or Susie doesn't come home, like do you, are you able to to identify specific faces and associate them with mm-hmm. with kids or is it just children?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So so you can do either, in fact, um, with Lighthouse. Um, so Lighthouse has the ability to understand, that oh, that is a child generally. It okay. also has the ability to understand um, faces of specific people. Mm -hmm. Um, And in particular, what what that is most useful for um, is so you can do something like, say, to Lighthouse, um, you know, hey, tell me if you see someone you don't recognize while Cindy and I are away, for example. Um, and that lets you get at you know um, I don't know if your children bring home a new friend um, while you and your wife are out at work or something, and you, you right. might just want to know like oh who is this new person and it'll it'll tell you about it. It'll send okay. you a push notification when it sees that. Hmm. Um, or if you know you have a dog walker or a babysitter, and one day it's somebody different or somebody mm-hmm. new is there, right? It'll proactively notify you about this. You don't mm-hmm. have to go back and check every day, okay. right? Because you have set up this alert um, with natural language.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just occurring to me that as you were describing these use cases, that you know, as complex as the you know the computer vision and the the three D sensing is, there's also a, an NLP challenge. Like, how do you how do you capture you know the full breadth of what someone's going to want to ask this thing? Uh-huh. Um, are there you know we've talked uh, a bit on the podcast about some of the underlying NLP technologies and uh, spoke with someone on the Alexa team. Like, are there unique challenges associated with the way you're using uh, NLP in the context of this device?
1: Um, I, so I wouldn't say there's, there's necessarily, um, I don't know, unique research challenges on the natural language processing mm-hmm. side. Um, there are, uh, are difficult and important uh, engineering challenges mm-hmm. that we need to nail on that side of things. It's the computer vision where the really um, the really heavy duty uh, you know research grade techniques Mm -hmm. um, are being deployed. At least for the current generation Mm -hmm. of Lighthouse. Um, I mean, you can imagine you know Google Assistant needs to answer virtually any question you could throw at it. Right. Um, With Lighthouse, there's there's actually a more restricted set of things. You know, Mm -hmm. if you ask Lighthouse for you know directions from like you know here to wherever, like we we, like we don't do that. That's not what we do. Mm -hmm. Um, But for the set of things that we understand on the perception side like we're you know it's actually we're very good at being able to answer those questions Mm. Um, it's a more constrained space that makes the problem easier there's more structure in it
0: okay and so do you you know when you're providing kind of the user manual for this thing like are you telling someone these are the 10 things you could ask it or are you setting the expectation that they should just be able to ask it things related to the kinds of stuff that it can do.
1: Yeah, so so we we float rotating suggestions in front of people um, okay. in the app, Okay. right? So like, so w- when you're um, in the kind of the natural language interface screen, you'll see here's, you know, here's the set of things you might consider asking some examples of these things right. in this category. And mm-hmm. it kind of guides you through what categories of things we understand. Um, and that includes, um, you know, for object recognition, it's, you know, people and children and, and pets and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, for action recognition, we recognize waving at the device. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can say something like, hey, tell me if you see someone waving hello while I'm out, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, We understand um, uh, time ranges. Mm -hmm. Uh, We uh, allow you to set up um, alerts for things that happen in the future and so on. We'll kind of guide you through those different categories Mm -hmm. of of what we do.
0: Okay. Um, And so on the computer vision side, what are Kind of the key research level challenges that you're tackling.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so it what it is really coming down to is applying deep learning at a large scale with three D sensors combined with color cameras. Um, and there's there are. Um, particular things that this setup let you do that you just can't do in any other domain. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so for example, the 3D sensor lets you segment and track objects through the space mm-hmm. um, without you having to have any sort of semantic understanding. You don't have to know what that thing is. You just know it's a thing and it's moving through the space. Mm-hmm. Now, your unit of classification from a deep learning point of view is that segmented object track through space and time. Mm-hmm. And this, this enables several things. One, it's just more accurate. Because you have more views of an object as it's moving about, and you can integrate all of that information. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, it's a very, very natural setup for doing action recognition, um, because you've got this, you know, this thing moving through space and time, and you can ask questions like, "Is this a dog?" But also, you know, "Is this a dog jumping up on my couch?" Or mm-hmm. "Is this a person waving hello?" Or you know, and so on. Um, uh, so it, it's a great setup for working on these kinds of of, uh, of very challenging computer vision problems. Okay, yeah.
0: you have talked about. Kind of segmenting the you know these objects, and I'm thinking about this primarily being driven by the 3D sensor. In what ways does having the camera augment what you're able to do? You know, beyond just the 3D point cloud.
1: Oh um, well, so the so w- at deep learning time, it's a specialized architecture that's using both of those channels. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know the uh, almost the attentional mechanism, if you want to, you know, if you want to call it that, yeah. That's primarily driven by the three D sensor. Um, but then once you're kind of analyzing what is this thing, mm. now we use everything we have, um, okay. In, you know, and that is including the the three D sensor data, the point cloud of the objects, right? yeah. um, As well as the color camera data. We combine these things in a deep learning architecture that uses both of those, and then and then you know merges them, and then goes into an LSTM right? okay. for for doing like you know. Uh, understanding of um what is happening over time
0: right okay and so how do you what was the process for kind of coming up with the the network architecture for this thing uh um did you, you start familiar? with something off the shelf like inception or you know name your network architecture or did you build it up from the ground up
1: yeah so um i mean in this kind of context it always makes sense to start from a baseline that's reasonably easy to just you know Pull the pull a thing out of the box and deploy it see what happens right right and so we did that with you know Google net hundred years ago just to see what would occur yeah um, and you know, it was you know, it did something it was good mm-hmm. um, but it was pretty clear that we need to customize this thing to get the level of, of accuracy that we really want yeah um, and then the process from there is um, well, are you familiar with the phrase graduate student descent? Sure. Okay. Yes. So I mean, that's. That, I mean, um, but I mean, it really it, it's you know it's intuition um, combined with uh, significant perseverance combined with lots of compute.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. And, I think the, like a, the current like way a, of saying that post NIPS uh, 2017 is alchemy. Yes. <laughs> there's a lot of alchemy.
1: Right? I mean, it's kind of sad, actually, in that like a lot of my a lot of my PhD work was kind of like during the age when, you know, proper machine learning techniques should be, you know, convex. right? Uh-huh. And just like, yeah, it's a descent method. Like you're always going downhill and just like roll to the bottom and you'll find the solution. It'll be right. great. Right. Right. Um, and now it's just it's non-convex and just like, you know, maybe it's working and maybe it's not working. And, you know, oh, I don't know, try a try a different momentum term and like maybe it'll work yeah. this time. Right. And mm. that it has its. It has challenges and uh, uh, advantages too, right? Like now things
0: actually work. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. You know, for folks that are trying to productize around uh, deep neural networks, like what, um, I I guess, you know, I guess I struggle with the the graduate student descent as the answer, right? I guess Uh. probably we all do a little bit. Um, Have you developed, you know, any intuition or rigor around uh, or methodology rather around kind of the way you, um, you know, the way you build out network architectures for, for this problem space? Or even maybe another question as background is like, was the network architecture like upfront work that you did and it's kind of static? Or is it, what, how, how rapidly does that evolve? So, so that is an ongoing
1: effort um, mm-hmm. in many different ways. Um, so in one way, um, we are, um, you know, collecting new annotated data all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both from our own early access testers who provide us access to their data mm-hmm. for us to use for training purposes. Um, and also, um, if there is a mistake in the field, you can, you can annotate it as such, and we'll make use of it and improve the models. Like we have, we okay. have a stream of annotated data coming in. Um, and so we're always taking the same network structure and taking that new training data and turning the crank and redeploying. Um, mm-hmm. And that cycle, I mean, it depends on the details, but that's on the order of days, mm-hmm. right? Um, the new architecture deployment cycle um, that's more like weeks or months as we, mm-hmm. you know, we come up with some new idea of like, oh, what if, you know, maybe we can compress the network this way, or maybe it would make a lot of sense to, you know, build out this piece of the network and then we'll go work very hard and validate that, that new network and find out, oh, indeed this, you know, reduces compute time on our end and produces a better experience for the customer. Great. Let's go deploy this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, it's all about large scale quantitative testing.
0: mm mm-hmm. And you mentioned compressing the architecture. Are you deploying the a network on the device or are you doing inference in the cloud or something like that?
1: It's largely in the cloud okay. um, at the moment. There's a variety of reasons that make sense, um, although I should mention it is not entirely in the cloud. Um, it really is a distributed computer vision system to squeeze okay. all the last you know, bits of performance out of it that we can. Mm-hmm. Um, you really do want it to not all run in one place. It makes sense to have some of it run on the device, some run in the back end.
0: Uh, so talk a little bit about that in more detail. Like how do you, you know, what is running on the device? How do you partition what's running on the device and what's running in the cloud?
1: Yeah. So at a high level, um, the device is doing um, the attentional mechanism. It's doing the segmentation and, tr- and tracking of what is interesting and new. Okay. Um, and then um, and there's nuance here, but at a high level, it's doing that. Um, so
0: at, at kind of a simplistic perspective, you're not sending a bunch of frames up to the cloud if there's nothing happening.
1: That's largely correct. Yeah, yeah. We do have to send some data once in a while. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one frame every you know few seconds, basically. Okay. Um, so we can. Uh, this is actually so we can present to you a beautiful summary of the day. Uh, okay. Um, right. So you, 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 we call it a, a, a smart time lapse or a daily okay. recap, um, where you you know you press one button and you get a you know a. a 10 second or one minute kind of summary of what happened during the day. And it goes fast during the boring parts and it goes slow when there's something of interest to you. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, But but yeah, generally, we actually, we don't have to stream um, 30 frames per second because it's actually not what customers really care about. Mm -hmm. Um, Customers don't care about, you know, what were the... RGB pixel values uh, at like 3:47 a.m. You know, yesterday. Mm-hmm. What they care about is, you know, did my kids come home on time, and what has the dog done since I left the house? Because I just think it makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. Or, mm-hmm. you know, was anybody new here? Who mm-hmm. was new here last week? Just you know, show me these things. Yeah, that's what they care about. You know, we're with traditional home cameras. We're kind of awash in in data, but we don't have much you know, useful information. And that's what Lighthouse is all about, is mm-hmm. taking that that enormous stream of data and, and compressing it down into just the bits that you
0: actually care about. Uh, interesting. Um, one thing that I'm curious about, you know, being kind of here at CES and seeing, you know, tons of different consumer-oriented products that are trying to incorporate AI in one way or another. Uh, are there any things that you've kind of learned that were surprising about you know, pulling AI into consumer-oriented products?
1: Yes. Um, I, I actually, um, when, when we started Lighthouse, myself and my co-founder, um, I thought it would be the, um, the AI problems that were the hardest across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are hard, for sure. There's no question of that. Um, it turns out there's other hard problems that you have to solve along the way. Hmm. Um, for example, getting the UX right. Mm-hmm. Um, like getting the like the UI and the, like the interface and the user experience really right. That's yeah. actually quite difficult. Spend. It's something we spend a lot of time on um, because w- what we you know ultimately the reason we exist is to deliver a delightful and useful experience to our customers, mm-hmm. and we're able to do that with AI. But like that's not the only thing. Yeah. Um, and it's actually it can be quite hard to get those things right, mm-hmm. um, especially in you know breaking new ground in a new kind of interactive assistant Um how does one actually, you know, build the best interface to this kind of thing? It, it takes a lot of work and iteration.
0: You know, do you have uh, kind of the lighthouse laws of effective, intelligent user experience design? Like, have you, uh, you know, boiled, you know, what you've learned down into key ideas that you tell a, a new team member?
1: You know, I'm not sure we've refined it to that point. Okay. Where I could concisely communicate something.
0: Yeah. Yeah it's interesting i I've, I've I've asked people this uh, on and off for um, the last couple of years. I think that uh it it strikes me that you know we've developed a fair amount of um, you know fair amount of methodology around traditional user experience via mobile via the web mm-hmm. and it strikes me that there's you know some set of rules that will evolve around designing intelligent systems uh, or not to, that's kind of too broad but um, presenting intelligent experiences to mm-hmm. consumers um, but I haven't really found you know no one said oh yeah I read this book about it <laughs> we're still too early for that <laughs> too early for um, books. there is but, one
1: there is one guiding principle actually that, that is is worthy of mention here um, uh-huh. it's something that's always kind of in the back of my mind with this kind of interface the reason it exists Um, is to make useful information accessible to you as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. That's the reason natural language interfaces are good. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, you know, stepping outside of Lighthouse, looking at something like Alexa or Google Home... Mm -hmm. um, one of the reasons they're so good is because you know you don't have to go find your phone or pull your phone out of your pocket and like unlock right. it and go to this you know go to the right app and then and then play your music and say no like play it on this interface and then, like no mm-hmm. oh. and then finally it comes out where you're know, like no you just you just yell across the room hey play this thing mm-hmm. and it just works mm-hmm. right and that like the reason that's amazing is because it saves you ten seconds right and it and it seems so trivial right but it's not it really like, it really 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 matters mm-hmm. um, and and when you look at this from the um, I don't know if you want to call it the, the nerd point of view, certainly this is me, right? Mm-hmm. But um, uh, it's all about reducing latency and increasing bandwidth in the human-machine interface. Mm-hmm. That's the point of natural language, mm-hmm. um, is that you have a thought in your mind. There's a thing you want to do. Mm-hmm. And right now... Generally, you have to translate that into, okay, I'm going to pull open my phone. I'm going to tap on these buttons to get to the right app. And then I'm going to tap on some more buttons to do the thing I'm trying to do. And right. I have to go to this menu and adjust the slider bar. And it's like, right, it's just like, right. it's terrible. What you should do is, is there's that thought in your mind. Just say the thought. Right. right. And it just happens. Yeah. Right. That's what that is. That is just so much better. That is an, it's a, I don't know, it's an order of magnitude improvement in in latency in that interface between this intelligence in my head and this intelligence in my phone.
0: Mm-hmm. On the NLP side of things, did you start out with any of the um, kind of popular cloud-based platforms for doing that kind of stuff? Like the, I forget what it's called now, x.ai, mm. you know what, what that is. But, you know, all the cloud vendors have their own or did you kind of roll your own? Right.
1: You know, they're, they are useful prototyping platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, and there may even be some applications where they get you all the way. Yeah. Um, but that is n- that is not the case for Lighthouse. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I can tell you that for sure because uh, like I used one of them over a weekend to produce a little demo of like, hey, this is what this is what I have in mind. I think this might right. be a way to really nail the user the user interface for this thing. Yeah. Um, uh, by, by the way, actually, I mean, when we started Lighthouse, we knew how to we knew the direction to go into to solve the perception problems, but we didn't know how to solve the UX problems, mm-hmm. right? And, and it was only along the way that we discovered that like, oh my God, it's the it, natural language interfaces are the way to do this. Mm-hmm. Like it is actually not is not possible. As far as we are aware, to produce an interface with buttons and sliders and you know whatever else it might be, to to get you to be able to say, uh, "Hey, tell me if you see anyone new at the doorstep while Cindy and I are away next week." Oh yeah, right. Like, <laughs> how, like how would you do that? With like you just can't, right? But with natural language, it just works. It just works. It's right. amazing.
0: Right. Yep. Right. I've gotten that feedback quite a lot from folks that are trying to productize NLP. Like the the uh, platforms are an interesting way to start, but you run out of runway in terms of their flexibility and ability to get you all the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah so, so we built around. Okay.
1: It's the, it's the only thing to do in this area.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about your uh, tech stack generally?
1: Um,
0: yeah, yeah, happy to. Um, so we use, we use a lot of C++ mm-hmm. um,
1: because this is both real-time- Both on device and in cloud? Both. Okay. Um, it's a real-time performance memory intensive Computer vision, mm-hmm. right? Running at scale, mm-hmm. um, well, either at scale on the back end uh, or on a you know, limited compute device out on the front end that mm-hmm. is touching hardware, mm-hmm. right? And so, in both of these places, C is the right thing to use yeah. at that level. Now, when we're prototyping a new uh, a new architecture for our you know the deep learning system, yeah, it's totally reasonable to you know twiddle around in you know in Python to to have you know faster iterations on that, mm-hmm. um, but Ultimately, when it's like building and deploying
0: real systems, it's it ends up being C++. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did you build out the NLP platform on C++ as well? Like the whole system for intents and all that kind of stuff?
1: I'm simplifying a bit, of course. So the, the core computer vision system is in C++. There's yep. a Java layer around that because okay. that's, that's easier to interface with your phones, for mm-hmm. example. Um, and it turns out that's also a good place to build your natural language processing. Okay. Um, for whatever reason... Um, in academia, at, at least my, my circles of academia back in my Stanford days, um, natural language processing was generally done in Java. Um, hmm. And computer vision on self-driving cars, for example, was like all C++. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, you know, it probably is the case that you know, on self-driving cars, C++ is a more natural fit because you have to interface with sensors and you have real-time requirements. Sure. And it's like very heavy data, whereas natural language yeah. processing is often less so. Yeah. Um, so in any case, that's, that is a natural fit. And our, our
0: natural language system is, is, you know, lives out there. And is the Java ecosystem for the natural language stuff, stuff as mature as the Python ecosystem? Or more, maybe.
1: Um, that's a good question. I, I don't think I actually know.
0: Okay. Yeah. Like, hey, where from a, a company perspective, where are you in kind of the life cycle of bringing this product to market?
1: Ah, we are. Very close to general availability. Okay. Um, so you, in fact, you can go to our website right now, www.light.house, um, and and enter your email, and mm-hmm. uh, we we will add you to our, our special offer list. And if okay. you're lucky, you might get one. Okay. Um, and uh, and if not, we will uh, we will be available for
0: um, for anybody to buy in the not too distant future. Okay. We are we are quite close now. Nice. I've seen pictures of the device. It's like, it looks like a, it's not a mobile device. It's stationary. You put it on a countertop or something like that. Right. You know, you either have to be very, very strategic about where you put this thing, or you have to envision a world where you've got 10 of these all over the place. Kind of like Alexa's becoming, right? You have one in every room or something like that. Is that the way you're thinking about the world? And like, you've got You eventually have a full 3D and, uh, you know, three color map of everyone's home or is it something different? Yeah, actually not. I mean, maybe I'm not doing my job as
1: like, you know, CEO of this company and like, oh, you should have one in every room or something. But (laughs) I actually don't see it that way. Um, um, I think several in a um, in a normal sized uh, you know middle class American house two to three is probably the right number and you get mm-hmm. a ton of value out of one
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and so you can kind of you know you get one and you play with it and you're like oh my god this is amazing and you, you get two and two and three mm-hmm. um, I actually don't think it makes that much sense to have um, every single room covered um, it's usually um, particular areas of interest. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know we often see the first one goes in an area that is kind of near the front door. So you see like what traffic is coming and going, mm-hmm. but you also see a reasonable amount of the kind of the floor plan of the home. So you get mm-hmm. a sense of what's going on there. Um, But other uh, common places for for Lighthouse to end up in are, you know, in the garage, because often the, you know, the door might get left open and you want to know if somebody's in there. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Or you might have tools out there and children and you want to know, like, is, you know, are the kids going out there when I'm not home? Things like that. Um, Or, you know upstairs in the kid's room or just outside of the kid's room to see if they're getting up out of bed in the middle of the night. I mean, mm-hmm. you, can, you would literally just say, you know, hey, lighthouse, you know, tell me if you see the kids out in the hallway between, you know, 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. And mm-hmm. it just works. Um, we need to implement the call me if you see this feature, that's, okay. you know, coming down the road. Okay. Um, um, but it's those kind of areas of, of, you know, particular interests. And it depends on the particular homeowner. Um, another commonplace is kind of in the living room looking um, looking into the area where the dog hangs out. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you can, you know, just you know, get the warm and fuzzy feelings of like, Hey, what's my dog been up to since I left home?
0: Mm-hmm. Right. So if you had this and you pointed it at, at the front door, can it, um, you know, can it effectively, you know, track the state of the, of the home and kind of be a general purpose presence detector, like, you know, keep track of someone walked in, that person walked out. So they're no longer inside and at any given time, like query it and determine who's in the house. Mm-hmm. So, we can make that query, and that does work.
1: Um, mm-hmm. But we don't do it with computer vision, actually. Okay. Um, and the you know the reason is we, we there's often many entrances and exits to a home, and we don't mm-hmm. expect that you buy one lighthouse for every entrance and exit okay. necessarily, right? Um, so the way we do presence absence detection is is just you know is with phone presence and absence. You know, GPS is part of that, but also looking okay. at Bluetooth signals coming out of the devices. I right? was just going to say I just yeah. started
0: playing with the. Samsung smart things and it does it the same way. And it kind of sucks. Like it's, it's very coarse.
1: You have to work hard at it to get it to work well. But I mean, there is a big advantage in that we have a Bluetooth signal coming out of the device. Ah, okay. That's going to work a
0: lot better than, you know, the GPS you're within a mile of your house. So therefore you're in your house. If
1: you just use location services, uh, like as provided by the standard phone APIs Mm -hmm. on its own, it, it would be hard to make it really good. Um, now to be fair, also like we will not cover the case where you walk out of your house and you go to your neighbor's house. It's going to be hard for us to tell. Um, right. right? And like, it will still think you're home, but when you get far enough away, then it, you know, this, this gets you uh, almost all of the way.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, Assuming that you've got your phone with you. That is correct. Yep. Um, um, I mean, that's,
1: that's one of the reasons that the, the, the children classifier is a big deal because they often don't have phones at all. Right. And you want to know right. what are
0: they up to and did they get home on this, you know, uh,
1: on their schedule and so on.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And so does, this, does the Lighthouse have uh, an API? Is it something that you envision people um, kind of getting and hacking on or is it uh, more you know, just kind of the stated use cases yeah. thus far?
1: Um, you know, we have seen a tremendous enthusiasm for adding um, lighthouse capabilities to other parts of the the iot world of the smart home. right. Um, you know, actuate this smart home you know device when you see something or other yeah. that kind of thing um, and i'm really excited to get to the point where we can we can actually start to tap into that um, we're not there just yet uh, mm-hmm. but it's certainly on the roadmap um, I, we we will be deploying something like that um, some integration with other smart home capabilities that um you know that early adopters can can plug together um, we will be providing that um, sometime this year hmm It will not be immediate to them.
0: Yeah, yeah. What's the long-term view for the company? What are you trying to accomplish?
1: So when I take a step back and look at why Lighthouse exists, Mm -hmm. um, the home is a piece of it for sure, and it's a very exciting piece, um, but it's not the only thing. Mm -hmm. Um, The reason Lighthouse exists is to improve human life uh, by augmenting our physical spaces with useful and accessible intelligence. Mm -hmm. And that's stated very broadly, um, quite deliberately, like... There's sensors beyond computer, beyond cameras, beyond time-of-flight cameras, um, and you know beyond vision generally that are very interesting in that we absolutely should integrate into this kind of thing, um, and it also goes beyond the home. There's many different AI service domains that are that are quite interesting to us. Um, we're not spending a lot of time there right now because, you know, it's hard enough to do one of these things. And so we're very, very sure. focused on delivering the home product um, into the world and having that be a, a, a big success and make people's lives better. Mm-hmm. Um, but once that is established and, and growing more or less on its own, um, then it'll be time to, to take our attention to another AI service domain.
0: Mm-hmm. What's an example of uh, another one beyond the home that's interesting?
1: Uh, elderly care is a big deal. Okay. It is it is a particularly big deal, and and we are particularly well suited to solve problems in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're actually we're starting to see hints of this already, um, even in the home um, mm-hmm. for aging in place, in particular, where uh, you have a you know an, an elderly loved one um, who maybe they maybe they you know they might need to go into a, a facility uh, like a nursing care facility, um, but you kind of want to extend their time in their own home as long as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, and a system like Lighthouse is actually really good for, mm-hmm. for this for this use case um, because, you know, they get a great security camera out of it, right? right? Or, you know, a camera they can, you know, see what their dog was up to or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, you know, the, the, the adult child um, gets the early warning system mm-hmm. where um, you don't have to be looking at it every day. You just say, you know, hey, Lighthouse, if you don't see anyone in the kitchen by 8am every day, just let me know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, it might be that they just slept in, but maybe today's a good day for you to call mm-hmm. and just see... How are you doing?
0: Yeah, right. yeah. Now, it seems like there are tons of folks kind of nibbling away at pieces of this space. Like, how many devices does Amazon have alone? Like, they've got the, the key thing, which has a camera. They've got mm-hmm. the, uh, the look thing, which is your kind of fashion visual system. But, you know, it's, you know, they seem to be very gung-ho of getting cameras in your home, right? Yeah. You know, how does a consumer react to all these people trying to push cameras into their houses and point clouds and all of this stuff.
1: No, it's interesting. Um, so there, there is a very fundamentally different perspective, um, on the space when you're at a place like Amazon, um, their goal is to, is to magnify their, their marketplace, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're trying to sell things, Mm-hmm. That's that's why they're trying to put a camera into your house so that oh we can deliver more things to you mm-hmm. right or we can you know understand that like oh this scarf would look really good on you I'll try to sell this <laughs> to you right or whatever it might be right I mean that's that's legitimately the stated purpose right. of that device right um, with Lighthouse it's very different um, we 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 exist to provide this you know delightful AI service to you in return for money and that's the end of the transaction mm. we're we're not looking to you know sell you a better hat or something mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but but you know taking a step back from all that um, It is super interesting what's happening in the home generally, you know at mm-hmm. this CES in particular there's this you know a I, I almost want to describe it as an epic slugfest between, you know, Alexa and Google Assistant to, mm-hmm. to like, you know, which like, oh my God, this is the AI is coming to the home in this particular form. Right. And it's really interesting. And, you know, who knows where it's going to be in a, a year from now. Mm-hmm. Um, but what is very clear is that adding perception capabilities and having then that same kind of conversational capability is, is super exciting. And that's kind of right where Lighthouse is.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's often this question about like, is, you know, thing X, is it like a product or a feature? And you know, what you're doing in a lot of ways is like bringing together the, you know, the vision piece, which is, um, you know, I guess I'm wondering like long-term, like does, you know, do, does something like Lighthouse and Alexa, do they converge? Like, do you, do you want to, if, if Alexa was more open, like, do you want to have to deal with the NLP, you know, or do you, you know, want the, the vision to, to kind of tack onto that or, take advantage of the broader ecosystem. And I guess I'm mostly thinking about this from the perspective of a consumer, like how many of these devices do I want in my house <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> listening to, uh, you know, listening to everything? And, you know, already I've got like, you know, the, the Google Home and you have to, it has its wake word and mm-hmm. Alexa, I've got two different wake words in the house. It's like, it's already getting a bit maddening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, well, one thing is, you know, with, with Lighthouse, um, you actually don't talk to the device itself. Um, oh really yeah because usually the responses we're providing are video and there's there's no there's no screen so you're like talking to your device yeah or and, and oh. usually you're out and about
0: right no, that makes a lot of sense. it's usually
1: you're you're at work or you know you're you're on the train or something and yeah. you're just like you know hey what did the dog do since i left or like you know hey had you know what did the kids do while i was out yesterday oh, and, and then you, you see the results there um right because it's all about delivering video answers in video form mm-hmm. right Um, so, so we won't be adding to that confusion, um, about like so many different things that, that like can respond to you in the home. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have an answer to that problem, but I don't know, go chat with the Alexa folks, I guess. Mm
0: -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Well, Alex, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I enjoyed learning about, uh, you, your background lighthouse. Uh, sounds like an interesting space and good luck here at CES. Cool. Well, thank you so much. This has been fun. All right. Thank you. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for your continued feedback and support. Remember, for your chance to win in our AI at Home giveaway, head on over to twimalaei.comslash myai contest for complete details. For more information on Alex, Lighthouse, or any of the topics covered in this episode, head on over to talk talk one oh three. Thanks once again to Intel AI for their sponsorship of this series. To learn more about their partnership with Ferrari North America Challenge and the other things they've been up to, visit ai.intel.com. Of course, we'd be delighted to hear from you, either via a comment on the show notes page or via Twitter directly to me at at Sam or to the show at at AI. Thanks once again for listening and catch you next time.